Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome codependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have a wonderful guest. I'm so excited. It is Kara Golden, who is the CEO of Hint, who is also a fellow podcaster and the author of a brand new book. So Kara, hi, and welcome to CMO Moves. Hi, thanks for having me. Nadine? (laughs) (laughs) You were just talking about names. Yes. Pronunciations. So I I like that pronunciation way better. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It is funny. You know, you were right. We were just talking about that. Like, I've been calling you Kara all this time because I I use soft days and yet your name is Kara. And a lot of people call me Nadine with that hard A, but actually my name is Nadine, but people don't actually know that. So, um, yeah, so so we can be here, yin and yang. You're Kara, I'm Nadine. So, welcome. (laughs) Excellent. Well, hey, so I have so many questions for you. Um, I mean, you, first of all, just blow me away with how much you've accomplished in your career and everything you did to build Hint to where it is today. But also you have this podcast and you have a new book that just came out. So let's start with those two things. Tell me about your podcast and the book, and then let's talk about Hint and where that came from. Yeah, so the the podcast is called Unstoppable with Kara Golden, and it really stemmed out of uh, the fact that I felt like I I would meet so many different great people, um, innovators and disruptors and people that are doing amazing stuff in, you know, their sort of category or industry. And so, you know, everybody from Maria Shriver and people like uh, Marion Nestle, do you know Marion? Um, she used to be with the FDA and now she uh, actually is a Bay Area resident and talks a lot about uh, food and things that you should be aware of. And then there's a, you know lots of other um, great entrepreneurs. And then my book is, is actually not out until October. I'm finishing it up right now. It's going to print, though I'm adding sort of a chapter on, on this whole last couple of months, but it's called Undaunted. And the real kind of purpose of it was to talk about, you know, so many people I meet along the way have walls up in front of them that are really difficult to break down. And I've thought about this for years that the longer you continue to talk about things, often the higher your walls will get around you, right? Like you, you build up the sphere. And so 
I've had this theory that at some point you just have to get over it or you have to break the walls down. And the way to break those walls down is just to go try and just see what happens. And I may fail and that'll be okay, but I'll have a story along the way to kind of say, here's, here's what's happened. And so I think that it's uh I've met a lot of people along the way who have done sort of a similar thing. I talk about actually in uh, one of the beginning chapters about how I actually got my first job. Uh, so for, for all you soon to be graduates out there, I um, graduated from college in a year that was considered really tough to go get a job. And I uh, ended up buying a plane ticket from uh, Arizona where I grew up to Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, and New York. And back then we had travel agencies. And so my travel agent came back and told me that uh, with all these legs over a three week period, it would be $472 for the ticket. And I was like, really? And so I quickly gave her my credit card thinking that it was probably a mistake. And uh, I ended up having 90 job interviews and, uh, I, it's sad that I don't, didn't keep total track of it, but I think it was close to 60 job offers, like, you know, executive assistant, analyst, all, all these different entry-level jobs. But I, I'm a huge believer that if you just go out and do it and not let the noise get in, in your way, then uh, lots of great things will happen. So the book is a little bit of, uh, you know, autobiography, tiny bit, but it really is about hopefully motivating people to just say, hey, if that lady can go do that, why can't I? Yeah, very exciting. And I am not at all surprised about your titles of your podcast or your book, Unstoppable and Undaunted. That that really pretty much packages you up, I think, because when I think about your journey and how- Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, no, I'm super inspirational. When we had you- at the CMO Moves Summit West, and you told your story there about how you got started and no matter what anybody threw at you, how you found such creative and very humorous ways to tackle all the problems. And you know, it's interesting, you mentioned a few things there and the, the reasons why you enjoy some of your guests, what you're, what you're excited about talking about. And I mean, you covered everything from, you know, health conditions to food safety, to how to survive in a crisis. And, and you yourself are actually doing a lot in all those areas. So I want to just kind of tease here that we're going to talk about how you're actively involved in Washington, D.C. now yourself, how you're really trying to tackle and provide solutions for health challenges. But before we do that, let's start with where it all began. Because like you said, you were not in the water business before this and you just had this epiphany one day, right? Yeah. So I was uh, right before starting this company, I was at, at America Online and uh, actually started there really, really early dating myself. But I, I was with a tiny little startup in Silicon Valley that was a spin out of Apple. America Online was an investor and they ended up acquiring our, com our company like six months after I'd gotten there. So suddenly I'm asked to uh, commute from San Francisco to Virginia where they were based and basically run this thing called shopping. It was like a channel. Didn't even have like any budgets that I was supposed to hit. It was like, again, like do your best and see what happens. 
Anyway, seven years later, it was a billion dollars to AOL. And I'm, you know, running this company, the United Airlines pilots that, you know, I was on the, my plane every week, my United flight from San Francisco to Dulles, and they all knew me. And I thought, like, this is just not a way to live. Like, I'm exhausted. I gained a bunch of weight. My skin was, like, breaking out all the time. And I thought, what is wrong with me? Like, there's something, I'm just not healthy. And so when I left AOL, I'd had three kids at that point, uh, or actually two, and I was pregnant with my third. I really started to think, like, while I'm taking some time off, I'm going to really look at my own, like, life, and I'm going to start running. And I'm going to um, start shopping at this store that was fairly new to the Bay Area called Whole Foods. And I thought, if I shop at Whole Foods, I'm actually going to be really, really healthy. And that didn't work. So one day, after I'd been reading labels for a few months, I looked down at my favorite friend, which was a can of Diet Coke. And I realized that I was putting this in my body every single day, and I had never paid attention to how many ingredients was in the Diet Coke. And I, I didn't really think that there was anything wrong with it. But I thought, I don't know, I'm going to stop drinking it for a couple of weeks and just see what happens. And for those first, like those couple of weeks, it was like really bad headaches. I felt like I had the flu. It was like crazy. And, you know, I look back on it now and I was going through withdrawals. Like I had had, you know, between eight and 12 Diet Cokes a day. But Anyway, after dropping it for two weeks, I, uh, I swapped it out for plain water and I recognized that the reason I didn't drink water was not because I didn't aspire to be a water drinker, but because I found water very boring. But I was willing to do it for a couple of weeks just to see what would happen. So in two and a half weeks, just by swapping out the Diet Coke for plain water, I lost 24 pounds. Oh my God. And my skin cleared up immediately and my energy levels came back. And so, I don't know, it was probably four months later after I was, you know, kind of on this program, I started slicing up fruit that was on my counter and throwing it in. And I thought, this is perfect. Like, why can't we make a drink that just has fruit in it? And I went back to my local Whole Foods and talked to the guy there and you know, he pointed out to another product called vitamin water that is actually now owned by Coca-Cola. But it was at that time, they didn't even have a diet version of vitamin water. This was, you know, 15, almost 16 years ago now. And so I thought, maybe if I just develop this drink, even if it ends up just sitting in my own like kitchen and pantry, and maybe I give it away to friends or whatever. And so, so I think, you know, it was about a year that I was sort of like making it in my kitchen and then figuring out like I couldn't just drop raspberries into the water for a long period of time. And so I had all these experiments. I sort of like made this concoction that I thought, wow, this is amazing. No preservatives in it, no sweeteners in it. And, uh, and I'm like, I should just go, go do this and bottle it. And so that's what I did. And I told the story at your uh, summit that, you know, I ended up launching it on the day that I was delivering my fourth child. I thought, why not go into labor with, uh, 
you know, having a baby on the shelf at Whole Foods and while I go into labor. So, you know, that's a story in, in and of itself. But yeah, I mean, you know, fast forward, uh, we're going on 15 years and uh, next month, uh, you know, my son, Justin, I always remember how old Hint is because I can't forget his birthday and it's uh, May 27th. And so that was the day that we got on the shelf at Whole Foods. And I, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're now the, the largest independent non-alcoholic beverage in the country that doesn't have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper Snapple. And, uh, you know, whether that be an investment or, uh, or distribution. And we're, um, in addition to being in lots and lots of stores uh, throughout the U.S., we, uh, and we can talk a little bit more about this, but we also did something a few years ago that I think was, you know, considered stupid in many, many uh, people's minds that, that after the last two months, I think more people are saying that it was uh, awesome and brilliant, or I don't know what, what they're saying, but uh, which is our direct to consumer business. And so that direct to consumer business prior to uh, this whole COVID-19 pandemic was about 40% of our overall business, um, you know, easily this year, it will be well over 50% of our overall business. And I think it's, it's uh, you know, it really speaks to what I've always believed, which is that the consumer ultimately makes the decisions as to where they're going to purchase your product, right? And the, and the minute that you start to dictate that, then you lose, right? And so for, for us, we have always believed, like we had started out on our e-commerce adventure with Amazon. And, you know, the key thing, we love Amazon, but the key thing that we realized about them, and again, I had, you know, sort of dealt with them when I was at, when I was at AOL, was that our, uh, their data basically in selling our product, their customer data is their data. It's not our data. And so, um, you know, just like when Whole Foods sells a consumer uh, case of hint, we don't actually know who that person is. We can see regional data, um, but we're not actually seeing, you know, who that person is. And so we really decided a few years ago that we're not competing with them. We're just giving consumers another option and uh, an option where they're really going to be able to, you know, see exactly all of the great stuff that we're doing. We do things like, you know, limited editions, smash ups, we call them that, uh, you know, really is like truly a few thousand cases and then they're gone. And uh, we ended up launching a few years ago sunscreen and deodorant and so you know the the vision for hint has always been about uh health that started with my health and then you know we ventured into we're a bigger platform now that actually just helps other consumers get health in, in other areas as well yeah well, it, amazing, amazing. Again, unstoppable and undaunted by any of the obstacles in your way. You launched an incredibly successful business. Um, and also, you know, what's interesting is I remember at the summit, you were sharing 
how your husband got involved in the business. So I'm going to come back to that because that was a very funny story. But with what we're all going through right now, which is uh, the pandemic, you were telling me a little bit about how just when all this started happening, you had another one of your aha moments. Tell me about that. Well, when we, I remember March 13th, I was actually in New York uh, shooting my cover for my book. And right after the shoot, I got on the plane and got some texts from my kids were starting to come home from school. They're, they're away at university. And um, they, uh, I, they were like, hey, can you stop on the way home from the airport? Can you stop and get a couple of things? I'm like, sure, no problem. And so I stopped at a Target and I noticed that a bunch of our product was out of stock. And I was just, I mean, I was really surprised. And I asked one of the managers if it was in the back room and hadn't been brought out. And he said, no, you know, people have really been hoarding, you know, different products and, you know, we're all out of stock and hopefully we'll get some in next week. And so I called our head of sales and I'm like, hey, what's going on? You know, and he was like, I don't know, like, you know, they're on auto replenishment, it should be going off of register data. And uh, so I stopped at another store on the way home just to check. And again, it was out of stock. And I started freaking out thinking, you know, this is really bad. Like if people are actually hoarding, you know, we have plenty of stock. And so why isn't it actually getting to the shelf? And so that weekend, uh, we acted really fast and went back to a lot of these buyers and said, look, you know, we've identified that there seems to be kind of an issue, at least regionally. We haven't sort of looked everywhere, but we're sending our teams out this weekend to, to look. And I've always had this theory that it's really annoying when you have somebody come up to you and like tell you that there's a problem and then they don't actually tell you, give you some sort of, you don't have to take their idea of, of what, uh, or, you know, their recommendation on a solution, but at least trying, right? To sort of give you some options on sort of how to solve the problem. And so our team ended up saying, hey, look, there is a problem, but a uh, solution is we'll send in a truckload of product tomorrow or Monday if you, uh, you know, if you need it. And a lot of people took us up on it. And while they were trying to figure this, their, you know, systems, the software was doing something, they were just overwhelmed. And so I think we really benefited because there were so many products that were out of stock. But basically, um, in addition to sort of really watching exactly what was going on in stores and trying to provide a quick solution uh, for these retailers, we also received calls from Costco and um, as well as uh, uh, the big military buying, which is DECA. Um, and the one of the first questions out of their mouth was, uh, do you guys actually produce everything in the U.S.? Um, so, and the answer is yes. We've always believed from a, you know, carbon footprint sustainability standpoint that, um, you know, let's, let's, even if it's a little bit more expensive, it's just, you know, easier, A, to know what we're getting, and B, it's much more reliable, especially in the times of a pandemic. So we, uh, so not only were we able to, you know, keep stock levels, you know, high because it was just coming from the U.S., but also I think we were able to, you know, really benefit because our entire supply chain is here in the U.S. And 
you know, our our belief, we're, we're only in the U.S. right now. Our, our belief is if we go into another country, we want to do the exact same thing. We want to source the fruit from that country. We want to use the workforce. You know, we really want to be as local as possible. Um, so, so I think that, you know, that for, from a brand standpoint, I think it's something that all brands, if you're not already thinking about that, you should be thinking about that especially for brands that are, you know, food brands that are trying to raise money. I think that that's probably going to be a big, you know, venture uh, question for you. But so that was, um, you know, sort of a, like, I had no crystal ball to say that there was going to be a pandemic, but, you know, I think we handled, um, there were a lot of things that we had done right from a supply chain um, standpoint. And then obviously our direct-to-consumer business. I mean, that business is up 100, over 100% over plan um, right now. So for the year, um, which is crazy. Um, so, but, you know, I'll also say that, you know, when we think about our business as um, the direct-to-consumer and then the retailers, as I said, like the targets of the world, and then uh, food service. And so what's happened to food service, obviously, you know, has just gone down for everybody. And we have a ton of business in corporations like Google and Facebook. And it's not really clear, you know, even when the shelter in place, stay at home initiatives are lifted, you know, how many people are going to come up? Are they going to do it in waves or what exactly happens? So for us, you know, Thank God we had a direct-to-consumer business already set up um, because I think that it would have been uh, a very, very different, you know, scary time for us if we didn't. Um, and then I think like the other piece of it too is I mentioned we're, a, you know, essential product, which is, which is great. But if I had, you know, all of my, uh, when when this all started and they were saying, okay, essential products are prioritized over other products and not only from a getting on the trucks for distribution from our, you know, distribution centers, but also uh, companies like Amazon, for example, like the number of food and beverage companies that I hear from, from them that, oh yeah, you know, why would you set up your own direct-to-consumer business? Like, why don't you just ship everything through Amazon? Again, Amazon's amazing and they're really great, but if you're not an essential product during this time, I mean, you could go from like getting to the consumer, getting your product to the consumer in a few days to a few weeks. So we were really early on making sure that Amazon knew that even though we were flavored water, we were actually a water and we are considered essential. And so acting as partners and sort of saying like, where are your pain points? Like, what's really hard for you and let us see if we can solve that problem for you. And then we'll figure out exactly, you know, how to move forward later, but let's just get through this together. I think it's just a message that just never goes away, no matter how big you are. Yeah. And we do hear that now all the time, which is amazing. I think the, we started a brands together channel for brands to come and work together on these very types of problems. And it's been amazing the ideas that have, gener have been generated in there. Um, it, one of the topics that they are tackling is something that you and I have talked about before. And it was about this notion around 
uh, on the one side, when you and I were talking about water being essential and how you're helping programs everywhere, especially with cancer patients, but also down into the school systems that don't actually have clean water. And some of the statistics you gave me were shocking. Um, so I want you to share that, but coupled with this initiative around fueling kids, which is the fact that there are so many children in our country all over the world for that matter, but here in our country, in our backyard, that don't actually get any food or water or any kind of nourishment or supplies when they leave school on Friday afternoon until they come back on Monday morning because the school system is their primary provider. And now with the schools being shut down, schools actually have to still stay open to be able to provide these um, services yeah. to the kids they have to figure out how to get to the schools there's bus drivers being deployed and nobody is really and, and that's unfair to say nobody else say it just seems like no one's talking about it and yet we all need to be talking about it it's a big part of our of our country that is suffering from the inability to access good food and clean water um and so I feel like we're, it's become a heightened issue now, and it's going to be worse moving forward. Let, let's just quickly start with what you were working on before this pandemic hit. In yeah, so, so basically I you know, caught wind of this whole issue around clean water as, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we have eight different plants throughout the U.S., and we don't use preservatives in our product. We use super high filtration um, in the product before it actually is even, like, gets to the point of going through, you know, the pasteurization system and, and getting bottled. And, and so we get a report on, on water and, and, you know, in the eight different plants, it's, it's all different. Like I've noticed that again, like I came into this industry, not really like not having experience. And, and so I was just kind of getting educated, but also fascinated by how the water varied greatly in different parts of the country. And so, you know, I used to see points like, uh, you know, I'd always seen points of like lead levels and and uh, arsenic and copper and, and some other stuff. But recently I also started seeing things um, uh, or another thing that came up and I was curious like what it was. I guess it was probably three, four years ago that when we really started seeing it measured, but it's called PFAS, uh, which is... Um, there's a movie that's out called Dark Waters that was out um, at the end of last year that that really talks a lot about this and and essentially it was um, the if you think about Teflon in the pan it's sort of a plastic and um, you know it ended up the, the the movie was all about these lawsuits that were uh, that are, are are currently in place and um, so PFAS is the you know, the name for this product, this Teflon like plastic that is, was dumped into the water. And, and um, so what's wrong with PFAS is it's uh, known by the NIH and the Center for Disease Control as a known carcinogen um, and at any level. And so I started really like getting concerned about the fact that, you know, my kids were going to school um, when they didn't have a hint bottle, they were just like filling up their, you know, bottle, whatever they had with, you know, water from the tap. And I started like really getting kind of concerned about like what exactly, you know, is in their water. And so I, uh, I figured though that it must be regulated, right? Like our plants are regulated. So why isn't it, you know, 
there has to be somebody regulating it. And so it ends up that our water supplies are all regulated at the state levels. And so, um, so the states are responsible for measuring this. Uh, and many of them, um, like many of them actually don't measure. Um, it's about 60% of the states actually measure. So 40% are not measuring. But of the 60% that actually measure, there's all kinds of problems in the systems um, in the measurement. For example, if you uh, like, if you end up testing a certain number of your drinking fountains at your kids' schools and they pass, then that's considered a pass, right? And so you could have like, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's if you, if you have like 80% of your fountains actually pass, then the other, you know, 20% that don't pass, it still allows you to get a pass. And so I started thinking like, gosh, so that means like, if the drinking fountain in the first and second grade, you know, quarters, like they, what if they have lead? Does anybody tell them? Do they shut off the drinking fountains? I mean, what exactly happens? And the answer is nothing, nothing happens. So I, I again, started getting a little angry about this and I called the EPA and I really wanted to be told that I was wrong about this. And, you know, the response back was that it's at the state levels, et cetera. And so, and, and that the EPA as a, you know, national organization does not do anything about it. And I just like really, really thought like, this is just nuts. And we have, you know, like I said, the FDA and looking at our bottles and, you know, and most, like, I, I just thought that, the fact that people get free access to drinking fountains should be a human right, right? And it should be clean water. And, you know, it's, it's like one thing to go out and buy a bottle of water or a bottle of Hint or whatever, but it's, it's like another thing that no one's telling you that you're drinking, you know, water out of a drinking fountain and it could have, you know, PFAS or lead or like, where is, where is the, where are the ingredients list, right? And so one day I ended up uh, talking to our Congresswoman from the, from the Bay Area, uh, Congresswoman Jackie Spear. And so we ultimately uh, decided to partner up at the end of last year to, draft a, a, a bill that will go before Congress. Unfortunately, between the impeachment hearings and you know, the COVID-19 stuff, it's been put on hold a little bit. Our hope is that by summer, we're able to you know, get this bill into place where we're able to take it before Congress. But I wanna kickstart it because I think that it's a, people need to be made aware of it and hopefully we'll do something where we can take it to Congress and ultimately get it fixed. Yeah. Wow. You know, ever since I talked to you about this the first time, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, and unfortunately, we are out of time today. So we are going to have to follow up, like you said, and see how much progress that you're able to make because you are, again, unstoppable and undaunted. And I'm glad somebody is leading the charge on this because it's so important for all of us. And, you know, the whole money question always pains me because if you think about the fortunes that will be lost later fighting diseases that were gained through inactivity in addressing this 
and the pain and the heartache. I mean, we've all been losing loved ones, have lost loved ones, will lose loved ones. And in my opinion, it's yeah, no money uh, covers that. So, um, Kara, thank you so much for being with me today. I, I can't let you leave actually without my, my now famous last question. Uh, so this is, this is how we're going to wrap this up and then we're going to come back and, and go deeper and, and we'll have to get that story about your husband in here too on the next one. Um, but if money and talent were of no object, I'm almost scared to ask you this question now, um, all you had all of those things in spade, in spades, and you can't say what you're doing now. That's not an okay answer. What would you be doing? Anything in the world? Anything in the world. Uh, helping people. That is kind of what you're doing already. So yeah, I mean, I am, but I think there's so much to be done around changing people's knowledge of, uh, of what ultimately allows them to be healthy. I've never heard uh, people talk about health so much as I have over the last six weeks going through COVID-19. So I'm hopeful that people really recognize that you can't play Russian roulette with your body system. You know, it's a, you know, machine that, that really needs care, right? And that can be what you're putting into your body, what you're putting on your body, your mental health, all of these things are really part of that. So I think for me, it, it's a little bit of what I've been doing, but I think it, it's, um, it's expanding and, and more knowledge-based uh, moving on and, and, and also just, you know, inspiring, hopefully to tell people that just go do it, go try things. Yeah. Well, Absolutely wonderful to hear from you and all the amazing things that you're doing. Uh, you obviously are helping tons already. I'm sure there's a lot more to be heard in the podcast that you have, Unstoppable, and can't wait to read your new book uh, coming up. So, Karak, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really delightful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day.